Hey, Frank. How's it going, Angelo? It's going okay. It's going very well. Uh, it's a crisp Sunday morning. There's a lot we want to talk about today. We uh, we talked last time about removing friction, and we sort of segued a little bit into habits. Um, so we figured it was a good second topic to start thinking about and, and, and discussing how we form habits, how we can change habits, and, you know, kind of how being conscious of them can improve our work. So, cool. Absolutely. I feel like habits are really the key, I don't know, habits are really the key concept to, you know, getting great work done. I feel like those who are able to, you know, mold and create the habits that they want are those who are able to really be successful. So why don't you tell me a little bit about what a habit is in the first place, how, you know, how it sort of manifests itself or how it's formed or whatever. Right. So a habit is, I mean, to, to like a general person, a habit is something that, you know, I guess happens automatically, right? Things like, you know, we think of habits as, you know, when we brush our teeth or, you know, like whether you floss or not. <laughs> but actually, there's a lot more that goes into habits. Um, essentially, the research um, that's been done around habits has found that habits are really split up into three different parts. So the first part is the cue, so the trigger for that habit. The second part is the routine. So, you know, it's, for example, like you going through the motions. And then the third part is the reward. And when you understand each of those steps, I think it goes a long way to, you know, kind of shaping uh, the kind of work environment that you want and the type of habits that that uh, you want to encourage. And why would you want to encourage a habit or, you know, or, or sort of mitigate a habit? Right. So if we look at cues, so if we look at triggers for habits, I mean, they can be, they can be external, you know, like you wake up and you go brush your teeth. But they can also be internal. So emotions are very, very strong triggers for habits. You know, how many times has it happened where like you felt bored and you pulled out your phone and you started scrolling on, like you start scrolling Facebook or Twitter? Almost never. <laughs> no, that's a lie. That's, that's absolutely a lie. So yeah, like these internal triggers are very, very powerful. And knowing that they exist um, can kind of help you, you know, shape how you respond to them. So I think last time I was talking about how whenever I would open up a search bar, I would like instinctively type in Reddit, <laughs> even if it was an Xcode. Uh, that's exactly the type of thing that's uh, 
that is a habit and that kind of got ingrained a little too deep. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and I think we all have these habits. Um, it's, I shouldn't say I think, I know we all have these habits. And, and one of the more interesting things is that um, they're mostly non-conscious. We don't even recognize that we're we're basically constantly in a run loop of cue, routine, reward, cue, routine, reward. We're always, you know, we set up our event listeners in our heads for looking for these cues that are going to tell us, well, I want this reward and therefore like uh, I'm, I'm scanning my environment for it. Right. Uh, uh, which is pretty, you know, you you get to your adult life and you realize, hey, or I guess maybe you don't. Otherwise, maybe you'd have better control over this. Uh, but I, you know, I realized, wow, I, I really don't realize that I do these things automatically without even thinking about it. Yeah, it's kind of funny because you kind of realize that you don't have as much control over your life as you think you do, which in a way is a bit scary. Uh, I have a good story about this. this. This is a story from Charles Duhigg's book called The Power of Habit, um, and it talks about Uh, The story is about a man who uh, got diagnosed with this incredibly rare virus that was attacking, I think, his brain stem. And uh, he needed to get it surgically removed. And in order to do that, they had to surgically remove part of his brain. And the part of his brain that they removed was his long-term memory. So this is someone who could, I guess you could say, like, you know, like physiologically, he could live a normal life, but he no longer had any long-term memory. So he couldn't, you know, remember uh, an episode on TV. Like for him, watching TV, everything would be always brand new. Um, he Living couldn't... in the present. Exactly. But I mean, so much so that he couldn't even um, remember his wife, for example, for more than five minutes. It's pretty like, like, this is obviously someone who needs to have like someone taking taking care of him like twenty four seven because if he were to wander out somewhere, he wouldn't know, for example, who he is or where he lives or any of that. So it's kind of incredible. Um, however, what researchers have noticed and why this man is so interesting is that every day his wife and him would go out for a walk around the block. They would have like this set path that they would take, and after a few months of that, one day, he just got up and went for a walk. So he just, you know, strolled out of the house, didn't even close the door. And, I mean, obviously, like, his wife was incredibly alarmed. She was like, oh, crap. Yeah, like, he's wandering around. He has, he, he'll never be able to get home. But the funny thing is, is that he ended up, you know, going, going, like, walking the same route and coming back home at the same time that he normally would have. So all this goes to show that habits have very little to do with memory. Right. Habits are not something that, oh, you need to remember to do. They quite literally happen automatically. And that is what makes habits interesting. Yeah, they're 
in a sense, uh, because you're basically seeking out a reward, you're, you're developing a shortcut for if this, then that. Right. You know, if I take this, if I see this thing, then I take this action and I get this reward. And, and it forms a, a positive feedback loop, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, for better or for worse. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, positive feedback loops are how ants, you know, an entire colony of ants can find a food source because as each ant travels to the food source, they leave a little chemical trail. Mm. And the more ants that like slowly stumble upon this randomly placed food source, the stronger that chemical trail gets. And it just layers one on top of the other until it's like a clearly defined ant superhighway towards, you know, from the colony to the food. But, you know, positive feedback is also the kind of thing why soldiers have to break step on a bridge because they'll set up uh, sympathetic vibrations that amplify and build and build and they just make the bridge collapse. Right. So, as you said, like they're we they're positive because they're amplify amplifying, not because they're a good thing. Right. So. What's interesting about that is that you, yeah, you're kind of living life on autopilot and you don't really realize it. How do you feel about that? I don't know. In a way, it's concerning. Um, but the way, the way I see it is that, like, now that, you're, now that you're armed with this knowledge, you know, you can harness it in order to kind of build the you know, the work environment that you imagine for yourself. And it's actually not that difficult, you know? It, it's not this kind of, like, Herculean task where you need to, like, summon incredible amounts of motivation every day. That's, my, my thinking of motivation has, has changed a lot over the past few years. Um, and now it's gotten to the point where Instead of trying to motivate myself to do something, I simply try to, you know, make sure the right cues are in the right place to make that stuff happen. And I feel like that's a lot more accessible for for many of us. Definitely, there's that, you know, now I know about this and therefore I can kind of try to work it to my favor. Are you familiar with the G.I. Joe fallacy? No, I'm not. Okay. The G.I. Joe fallacy. Um, you, you know, G.I. Joe was a TV show in the 80s. Uh, and at the end of the show, there would be some kind of little public service announcement where um, they'd try to teach kids watching the show about something, you know, like look both ways before crossing the street or whatever. And they, they would say, oh... Now I know, and knowing is half the battle. Um, but it's not actually half the battle, because knowing, uh, you be- you start to believe that because I know about this, I'm protected from it. Mm. Uh, but as a matter of fact, it tends to make you a little more vulnerable to it, because you, you sort of overestimate your understanding of, of the- whatever it is that you think you understand. So a little bit of an aside, but it does lead to something that I want to talk about later, which ties into feedback loops a little bit too. Um, 
So, yeah. Um, how do you then combat, you know, um, these, these autopilot routines that you're on? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I think you can frame this kind of in two ways. Um, the first way is, you know, building good habits. And the second way is how do you prevent bad habits? So if we go with like the preventing bad habits side of things, um, you, you know, you make things unattractive in the words of James Clear. Right. So, so Angelo and I have been reading this book that's really interesting called Atomic Habits by James Clear. And uh, Clear is an author. He, he's been blogging about habits for, what, three, four years now? He has this incredible body of work online. Um, very, very interesting. And one, one of the things that he recommends in order to, uh, in order to like, discourage bad habits is whatever cue um, you have, you need to make it, you need to make the, the routine unattractive. You know, you need to kind of, we talked about this last time, like insert friction uh, in order to make you not go through with it. And in doing so, you're kind of reconfiguring the neural pathways of your mind because if the reward isn't there at the end, uh, your brain reconfigures itself to, uh, to no longer go down that path. Right, exactly. Um, he was saying that uh, the m repetition is one thing. You definitely want to go ahead and um, try and make a habit by repeating it. And you're doing that because you want a reward, uh, but you're always balancing the value of that reward against the effort or your own ability to perform the action that gets you to the reward. Right. So by either minimizing or increasing that effort makes uh, uh, for a very powerful motivator for changing a habit. Yeah, so something that I kind of let's say struggled with before is um is uh like in the evenings I would, you know, like sit on the couch and check out Instagram stories for like a little too long and you know, I I I so I decided to analyze it, you know, like what's the feeling? Well, the the cue, the trigger is that I'm feeling bored. Um, the routine is to check out Instagram, right? See what my friends are doing. And the reward of that is, you know, our lizard brains uh, think that, hey, you know, we feel connected because we're seeing friends and we know what's going on with them. So how do you make this unattractive? I just, I deleted Instagram from my phone. I mean, if I want to check out Instagram, I still can, right? I can, you know, open a web browser, use their, use their website, and it works. But Now that they have one. <laughs> now that they have one. <laughs> but that was enough friction to get me to stop doing that in the evenings. And 
like that felt good, you know, like that felt like like a legitimate win for Team Frank. What about yourself? Do you have do you have any examples of uh, of something you've changed recently? Uh, recently, probably, but I can't remember because now it's automatic. I've definitely done the thing where uh, I no longer want to waste time, you know, automatically picking up my phone and going and doing X and deleting the app. Uh, Facebook was one of those. I, mm. I think I log into Facebook like once every six months or something because it makes me feel terrible. <laughs> um, <laughs> but... Uh, I'm also one thing that I've noticed that I do more now uh, is that I always have a notebook and pen nearby. Mm. You know, I have a tiny little pocket notebook that I and a bullet uh, Fisher space pen that I always have in my pocket wherever I go um, because I want to write down things that I either think about or that I hear that sounds interesting, you know, uh, and having that as a cue kind of is what I've noticed gotten me thinking a little bit more and, and exploring ideas a little bit more and, and, uh, after writing things down, remembering them more, it, I don't need to go back and necessarily review what I've read, but, uh, just the act of slowing, stopping what I'm doing, writing it down, helps me sort of remember what I was talking about. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it's it's really been something unexpected, you know. But I've heard similar things where if you have a notebook and pen on your nightstand uh, next to your bed, you will tend to remember your dreams more as well, mm-hmm. because it's just like a cue. Right. For something that you, you know, you do. And that um, brings up uh, the idea of a habit field. There's um, an article that I was reading about this. I don't really remember where. I think it was a list apart. And the author is describing what a habit field is. Um, And it's essentially, you know, like you walk into your workspace and you sit down at your desk and you just start doing a thing because it's a routine. It's become a routine. Similarly, you know, you sit down on your couch and you'll do a thing. Mm-hmm. So that I think is a very interesting idea of shaping your workspace or, you know, for that matter, your, your phone to no longer show you, you know, that Instagram app icon or Facebook app icon or Twitter or whatever. If I don't see it, I'm not going to go and use it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Clear actually talks about this, how um, there was a study in a hospital, I believe, where um, they slowly removed uh, like, uh, like soda vending machines and replaced them with bottled water. And as they were doing so, they saw like, hey, only by changing the environment, people, we can get people to make healthier choices. And that's really interesting, you know, like, yeah, 
shape shape your environment to encourage the good things you want to do. Yeah, absolutely. On my phone, I have one screen of apps. Most of my apps are in one folder. Wow. And the ones that I use the most are on that home screen. Uh, or the ones that I want to encourage myself to use the most. So I always have to, if I want to go, you know, check out Instagram or whatever, I have to either open a folder and like swipe through, I don't know, 14 pages of, of nine apps. Mm -hmm. Or I think I even removed it from search so that I like, I have to do that action rather than just swipe down a little and search for Instagram, okay. uh, things like that. Um, and I think that's been pretty useful. Uh, I'm curious about your own workspace. Is there anything that you do? like either in your home office or your work office or whatever to sort of get you into, we were talking about, you know, getting into deep work mm -hmm. mode. Is there anything that you do to try and promote that with your workspace? Yeah. Um, the first is keeping things clean. What's, yes. And what's nice about that is that when your default is clean, Anything that's lying around is something that needs to be dealt with. You know, I think there's a lot of value Absolutely. in that. Absolutely. You know, having a physical inbox for stuff. So that stuff is just not lying around everywhere is, you know, it's a powerful tool. And it's something that I've been using for, for years now. And so, like, that's a physical manifestation, but also on my phone. I go through like a great deal of care to make sure that like not every app can show me badges. You know, the like the 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 badges that I see on my home screen are very curated. So, yeah. A single like I get badges from one single email inbox and from OmniFocus and that's pretty much it. That's perfect. Yeah, and I feel like that's a good, you know, it, it's 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 a it's a good way to to start getting into this, you know. Yeah, definitely. I think it'd be a great first step. You know, just clean your desk, like figure out where all this stuff is supposed to be, and you know, clear the decks um, in order to have more room to think. You know it. It's funny because we talk about how, you know, habits let us live our life on, on autopilot, mm -hmm. for better or for worse. Um, clearing the decks in that way, as you say, or, or becoming mindful about um, notifications and how they draw you to open an app or whatever. Um, it, it's really sort of a way to remove these cues that, you know, take these autopilot routines. And, and at the end of the day, what you're trying to cultivate is a little bit more uh, mindfulness about what you're doing and why you're doing it. Mm -hmm. Right. And being a little bit more, ideally being a little bit more in the present. And there's something on the topic of cues that, that James Clear talks about. And that's, um, 
he, he talks about how uh, the Japanese transit system uses a pointing and calling uh, setup, I guess, or a methodology where conductors and, uh, you know, people on the platform that work for the transit corporation, they, they every step of the way, they have to point and say, okay, light is green, uh, point to the doors, doors are closed, so on and so forth, before the train will leave the station. And that's done something to cut down a lot of, um, a lot of incidents of uh, injury or trains being birthed in the wrong place or whatever. I was reading that and thinking about it, like I would feel kind of ridiculous walking around day to day and saying, "Okay, flossing my teeth," okay, <laughs> you know, whatever. That seems a bit. Um, a little bit over the top, but certainly like trying to think a little bit more about what you're doing, why you're doing it is really helpful. And it, I think it almost calls to, you know, when you're, you're, you're stuck on some code and you've got your little, I don't know, your little rubber duck on your desk right. or Optimus Prime or whatever. I don't know. I have Optimus Prime. Um, and you start talking it out with your this inanimate buddy of yours. And slowly you come to figure out the problem, right? Right. In a sense, that's that's kind of what you're doing. You're you're probably very often, at least for me, what's tripping me up is that I'm thinking the same way about this particular problem as I have in the past. Mm-hmm. And by talking it out it breaks that automatic path in my head right from like, I'm facing this problem. This is what's worked in the past. So that should work. Yeah. I actually think it's interesting kind of like the contrast that you can see between habits and deep work where habits are very automatic and easy versus deep work, which is, you know, the complete opposite. (laughs) <laughs> which is very difficult and you know requires focus and concentration like the whole reason why our brains have evolved to encode these habits is uh in order to free up you know our minds for more important tasks like can you imagine if every morning before tying your shoes you had to like deliberate over like which shoe you tie first you know like that sounds a little tedious So yeah, I think it's interesting to kind of like think of it in that light. Yeah, I think so too. Um, have you read Cal Newport's Deep Work? Yes, I, I have. Think you have right. So he talks about the eudaimonia machine that um, I forget who exactly had coined the, the the phrase, but basically it it's sort of a series of rooms that people would go through theoretically right yeah to get into a deeper and deeper level of work and and i think that you know forming habits is one way to automate that uh or or take away the the decision making mm-hmm. you know um absolutely to like set yourself on the right path yeah that would otherwise use up your valuable brain cycles um i think it was was it like 
President Obama, who had like basically one color of suit that he would wear so that he never had to think about what, what am I going to wear today? Um, or I think Steve Jobs did the same thing yeah. with his famous uniform, right? He had more important things to talk about, uh, to, to think about and, and to spend his cycles on. So, yeah. So, okay. So given this, given what we know about habits, how do you figure out what to focus on? Like which habits to, to change? How do you, how do you go about, you know, like, getting that process started how do you so i think when it comes to this stuff there like there are a few ways to look at it but one thing that i find interesting is thinking about um uh leading measures and lagging measures right right on so a lagging measure would be uh something that's like output focused mm -hmm. uh for example how many how many blog posts did i publish in the last month versus like a leading measure is would be something like how many times did i sit down to write in the last month which that's input focused it, how many you know i have a lot more control over the process of sitting down and writing than I do, I guess, for publishing articles on a consistent basis. Very true. Especially if, if there's more than one person involved, for example. You know, and I've been thinking of that and, and it kind of frames this, like it frames habits in an interesting light, right? Where, again, it's more so about getting started and setting up systems for you to succeed than it is about motivation. So I think a good place to start is to look at, you know, what are you trying to accomplish? What, and then what are some leading measures of that? Right? Right. Because a lagging measure, I mean... It's called a lagging measure for a reason. It's the outcome. Um, and so it's not something you can really... Um, you can't predict what the outcome will be. You can only work towards making it more of a reality. And right. this is something that I'm really curious. I didn't... I haven't finished the book yet. So I'm. I'm... Very curious to see what recommendations are made for this. Yeah. Well, you know, part of it is very much um, deciding, or at least what what uh, Clear talks about in his book is, uh, who do you want to be? Right. Things are very um, focused on the person you want to be and define yourself as that person, and then. Ask yourself um, at every point, uh, okay, I'm at a point where I have to make a decision. Uh, and I have decided that I am a uh, a designer. You know, like I've mm -hmm. never done product design, but that's what I want to be now. So what would a designer do? 
at this point or right what you know what would a healthy person do is probably a great example you know would i stop and you know pick up a box of cookies at the grocery store or go get some fruits at the produce section yeah exactly and i think you know when we when we frame what we want in in that light it can it can reveal it can reveal courses of action that we would not have thought of before you know like if if you come home and and let's let's say you want to become like some popular blogger um on javascript mm-hmm. for example and you come home from work and you're feeling a little tired and you sit down on the couch and you're and you tell yourself like what would you know like what would like the this like javascript thought leader do right now like would he would he binge netflix all night you know probably not probably has has bigger and better things to do with his time yeah maybe so so yeah and thinking about i guess like your goals in that light can i guess uncover some uh some good like leading indicators that can then inform which habits you should you know you might you might want to consider creating yeah and the interesting um sort of neuroscience behind this is that essentially you are what you repeat right um by having these habits you sort of build up evidence that you are this thing because you do this thing so there's a bit of a kind of fake it until you make it mm-hmm. sort of yeah, definitely. mentality there with, with habit formation, which is pretty interesting. Um, but it also means that once you define yourself as this per- a person that does this thing, uh, it, it makes it a lot easier to develop these habits rather than focus on outcomes. Because anytime you're trying to change a habit or form a new habit or break a habit, you're fighting neural pathways. You know, you're fighting the way your brain is wired. Yeah. It's really hard. Yeah. So you need the right motivation. But yeah, speaking of motivation, that actually brings me to to another point is like let's say you want to start a new project, right? And you're feeling all motivated about it. What what do you what do you do with that motivation? Like what do you use that like what do you harness with that energy? Talk that out a little bit more. I'm 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 thinking about what you're saying here, but okay. I, I'd like to see where you're going with this. So the way the way I see this is that when people become excited about a new project, they become very motivated. You know, this I I know I see this a lot after every meetup and after every conference I go to. I come home and I'm like, all right, let's open source all the things. And I'm going to write like 20,000 blog posts. Like I'm ready to go. Uh, but then as we all know, you know, like in the next few weeks that, that dies down fairly quickly, like the half-life of motivation is incredibly short. Um, and then, you know, we, we, we quickly, or at least for myself, <laughs> speaking for myself, I fall back into like, you know, my normal routines and, and that's it's that. Not just you. <laughs> 
so that really that really has me thinking you know like when you have that initial surge of energy what do you do with it you know like how how can you best yeah. harness that energy to get to the goals that you want to achieve so that's the thing about motivation motivation is really helpful for kicking off something mm-hmm. that you're you're passionate about um what do you do about the things that you're struggling with you know i tell myself i you know i i, I want to get into better shape uh so i'm gonna try and go to the gym three four times a week okay that means i have to get up at 5 a.m be at the gym for about 6 6 30 in the morning um i really don't want to do that i feel better when i have but getting to that point is really hard right Mm -hmm. so there's and this is where um the difficulty comes in where you can feel very motivated to you know have um you know, great blood pressure and uh, your perfect weight and whatever these outcomes are. But if you don't have the discipline to go when you're first starting, you're in a lot of trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Discipline is far more important than motivation. I think when it comes to building up a habit and then once you've built up that habit, you're good because now it's an automated behavior. I have a friend who, Goes to the gym, you know, three times a week, runs 10K every Saturday morning, like a clock. But they've been doing it for 15, 20 years, you know? So (laughs) it's, yeah, it's normal. Yeah. I haven't been to the gym in two weeks, you know, because I struggle. So I, you know, I've been trying to think like, okay, how can I make it as easy as possible? Well, um... I don't want to deal with like the locker room situation. I'm just going to like throw on my shorts, my running shoes, hop in the car and go. Mm. That takes one thing out of the equation, you know, changing is a pain in the butt. I splurge for like a parking package, which, you know, I'm, I'm lucky to have uh, my, my gym membership reimbursed by work. I get that that's not something for everyone, but what are the kinds of things that you can do to make it more likely to take on a habit, you know? Right. Like what, what I think is important is taking that initial surge of energy, like taking that motivation and really using that to build out a system to, I want to say like ensure your success, but it's not even that, you know, it's not even about succeeding. It's about starting it's about stacking the deck in your favor. Exactly. So that you can win the game at the end of the day. Exactly. Like and set up, a, you know, if you set something up where you can, like, you have a trigger, you start a routine, like, that. that's as far as you need to get. And then everything else will happen on its own. Absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm still waiting for that to kick in with going to the gym. But, you know, uh, I haven't been disciplined about it. I really haven't. Yeah, and like that's difficult. Like maybe what you need is, um, you know, some 
like some someone to be accountable to, for example. Yeah, it could be that. Um... You know, like one thing that helped me. Okay, now we're gonna start talking about the gym, but one sure. thing that helped me start going to the gym more and actually like develop this habit is uh, getting a personal trainer. And I see him like you know sure. once every week or two. But at least it's someone to whom I'm accountable. You know, like, if I don't go, I feel like I'm letting him down. And that's not something I want to do. So it's, it gives me this extra incentive to help me build that habit. And also, you know, absolutely. He like does these programs for me. And it takes it takes that part out of the equation as well, you know, right. Now, a lot of these things, you know, sort of speak to how, you know, how much money do you have to spend, yeah. you know, hundreds of dollars on a personal trainer or indoor parking at your gym or whatever. And and so uh, I don't want to make it sound like the only way to to ensure your success is by throwing money at the problem because uh, that's that's luxury and convenience, you know, mm-hmm. which is... It can help, but it has other issues. Um, just sticking with the going to the gym metaphor, you know, one thing for me was to find a very targeted and efficient program for what I want to do. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm doing a program that is like three exercises per gym to uh, visit. And you know, you just add weight every time you successfully complete that session. That's very efficient. It means that I'm in and out of the gym in 45 minutes rather than like an hour and a half or two hours, Right. Uh, which I, I mean, I don't have time or I don't want to commit that amount of time to, to my health. You know? <laughs> what the hell? Um, but it, it's, it's, um, certainly something that motivates me to go and do it because I know that I I have three movements I'm going to be doing. They're well-practiced. I, uh, you know, my form is great. And then it's just a question of tacking on weight or whatever. Mm -hmm. So that helps too. It, it it can be absolutely something that you're just setting yourself up for success can be a lot about understanding what your needs are for a certain thing. And that makes a big difference. And then the more you do it, the more evidence you build that you are that person. And therefore, you slowly develop that habit. What what do they say? It takes 28 days to form a habit? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's an urban legend. I think it, it probably is. Yeah. Like all science. Yeah, Clear talks about it um, a lot. And... That comes from, like, one study that was done a long time ago. Um, and actually, the, the, the actual amount of time is actually quite variable depending on, like, the complexity of what you're trying to integrate into your life. Um, but to sum all this up, there's, there's one quote from James Clear that I really, really like and I feel is... A good way to think about habits in general is that 
you don't rise to the height of your ambitions. You fall to the level of your habits. Sure. Um, I like that quote as well, um, but it left me wanting a little bit. And, you know, good thing that he wrote a book around it. <laughs> uh, just because, uh, okay, yeah, I get it. Habits are important. How do uh, I still don't feel like I have a great take on how you form a habit. That's my problem. Okay, I know that if I define myself as a certain person, as a person that, you know, goes to the gym, Mm-hmm. or a, a, a healthy person or whatever that will help I know that if I focus on building a system rather than focusing on a goal like if I tell myself I want to be able to run 5k nonstop, okay good for me how do I get there right so I have to build a system of uh, you know um figuring out how I get myself to running 5k. So, okay. There's like couch to 5k programs and stuff like that, that I can start mm-hmm. using to chip away at the, the, the goal. But then, okay. I make it a habit. How do you know? And this is the, the thing that really troubles me here. How do you know what habit you need to build to get to a goal? Because at the end of the day, the goal sets your bearing, mm-hmm. okay? And the habit creates forward momentum. That's great. That's good towards that, you know, that bearing. What's your compass? What's your speedometer? What's telling you whether you're still on track by trying to create or break a habit? How do you know that it's the right habit, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That's where, like... Um, we can talk about forming habits all you want, but it's not helpful unless I know that this is a system that will work to get me to my desired identity or outcome or whatever. Yeah. And I feel like what what you need to do is, you know, trust your gut. Yeah. I guess so, but I think it's also a question of, for me, in my experience at least, I think that seeing progress helps. And mm-hmm. when you're starting, um, you feel like you're putting in monumental effort and you're seeing no progress whatsoever, mm-hmm. right? And then all of a sudden, oh, wow, I can I can do this very comfortably. That's great, you know? Uh, in in February, Christina and I uh, did a like twenty eight days of origami, and we started by, you know, trying to fold a crane, you know, and we were having a hard time with it at first. Every morning, we'd sit down with a, a little square piece of paper and try and fold a crane, uh, and there was frustration, you know, because we like sometimes we rush to do it before heading off to work or whatever, um, or it's just weren't feeling like it you slept like crap you know you just don't want to do it but eventually like you know we were doing some pretty cool little you know models with it and it was just a question of showing up every day 
But it was more than just showing up every day. It was finding a good um, set of instructions for the folding that you need to do because there's a lot of terrible instructions out there. Okay. For example, it was about identifying why you were frustrated about a certain thing. It was about developing the understanding that like, okay, when I do a fold this way versus that way, it will affect sort of the the structure of the paper and that's why you want to do it. So it, you know, it really did come down to a lot of analysis of what I was doing to get better. Mm-hmm. You know, we can say that, okay, you, you practice and you suck less. You practice, you get a little better. You practice, you get a little better. You practice, you get a little better until eventually you're, you're not bad. That's not, in my opinion, I, I don't think that's sufficient. Yeah. And that's where I feel like the real advice comes in mm. for forming a habit to you know succeed at a goal. Yeah, I feel like my approach when it comes to something like this is always to start somewhere, you know, sure. kind of like not, you know, try to not get bogged down in analysis paralysis. Uh, and then constantly reevaluate, you know, what's working, what's not, what is absolutely, what is still difficult. Um, Shelly and I are going through this, uh, with regards to like meal prep and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we're, we want to eat out less, uh, and you know, how do we do that? Like, how do we create a system want or should, you know, whatever. <laughs> So, so how do we like how do we go about creating a system that encourages that? Okay, so we do a first pass. You know, a few weeks later, what's not working? You know, what is still painful? What's still difficult? And that kind of iterative process, I think, will eventually get you to your goal. But it's a long process, especially when you're dealing with neural pathways of the mind. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, I was talking about positive feedback loops before, right? Well, there's also negative feedback loops. Mm. And if I think back to my engineering days, you know, you've got a non-inverting amplifier. And what that does is basically cancel offset. Brings, you know, or you can think of a, a clamping circuit or whatever. Something that Positive feedback is very good for building a a good habit. Um, But to keep you on the path, it's good to have some kind of way to focus your energy and your attention Mm -hmm. very precisely on the problem at hand. And simply saying, do it over and over and over again until it becomes a habit isn't enough. So... Yeah, you want to avoid analysis paralysis, as you say, but the the idea of, you know, like Peter Drucker and his, you can't manage it unless you can measure it kind of thing is, is kind of important. Um, you do need to, in some way, understand that, okay, if I want to get better at 
playing piano, you know, for sure, I need to sit at a piano for an hour a day at a minimum every day and just play, mm-hmm. right? When I was taking lessons as a kid, that's what I had to do. But without the guidance of a teacher, uh, I wouldn't ever really become... I shouldn't say that. Not that I wouldn't become better, but I it would take a lot longer to get better. Definitely. And that's why something like being a solo developer versus you know, in a team where you can pair program or just get code reviews done or whatever is also, you know, you practice writing code, but that feedback loop where, okay, you're escaping a little bit from uh, a a good way of doing this or your understanding of the code base is not quite there. So let me just urge you onto the right path becomes very helpful. So yeah, maybe that's a little bit of accountability that you're that you're asking for, but it's also just a, a question of iterating mm-hmm. as well. Um, if I want to make write my first iOS app, I'll start by let's say you know just one massive view controller and a couple of cocoa pods that you know bring in the functionality that I don't know how to write yet. And I have a working app. It's not well written, but it works. It does it does a thing. Mm-hmm. Great. Now let me see what happens if I do, you know, try writing the code myself. Refactor out that massive view controller into, you know, controller classes, model classes and all mm-hmm. that. Okay, great. Now some of those cocoa pods that I've brought in or, you know, whatever, NPM modules or whatever, like left pad, you know, super useful, but maybe there's, you know, maybe it's not that complicated to write it yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you, if you're only writing three lines of JavaScript in your, in your, your, you know, your, your blog, do you really need to import all of jQuery? Maybe, you know? <laughs> For sure. Uh, so you you know you you start with a. I, I think you do still need to have some goal that you're looking at, and break it down into the steps, and analyze how you're making progress against those steps. You know, mm-hmm. um, because otherwise, I could say, what would a healthy person do? And then decide, well, the right course of action is to follow a bunch of fad diets or, you know, um, take all kinds of supplements that are really no good for me Mm. or whatever. And yeah, okay, I build a habit, but it doesn't mean it's a good habit that I'm building. That's where it's really hard. Food for thought. Food for thought. So the answer is, I I don't know how to build a good habit. I know how to identify them. But uh, one thing that I think that's going to be pretty helpful is maybe examining these kinds of feedback loops that we have in our lives and seeing, like, how do I either amplify them, make them more prominent, or 
how do I apply them to the things that I don't want in my life? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that was really interesting. I hope so. Habits are like, you know, like I said at the beginning, habits, you know, underpin all of our work. So it's good to know all of that, our lives, really <laughs> all of our lives. So, you know, it's good to know that they exist and it's good to know that you can shape them and use them as a tool to kind of create the type of life that you want. Here's the habits. It's always great talking to you, Angelo. See you next week. Yeah, great talking to you. We, uh, we will uh, speak again next week.